You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. I'll tell you that last night we had a celebration in my house, and I'm still a little bit ecstatic about it. I don't think I ever want to stop being ecstatic about it, but my little girl Adeline, who is six years old, Uh, She has been asking tons of questions for several months about the gospel of Jesus Christ. A lot of things happening, and God's Spirit's been working, and we've had moments. I guess it's like when a woman's going to go in labor, and then all of a sudden it's just contractions, right? And then it just stops, and we're like, oh, I thought this was it. And, And we say, okay, keep praying for Adeline. But the time came last night where she didn't have any questions. She had declaration. I want Jesus Christ to save me. We just saw her and start going into her sin and her understanding of Jesus and how just as a six-year-old would understand the simplicity of the gospel, she wanted Christ to save her. Last night, she got saved by Jesus and I give God the glory. Amen. And so it's something we began prayer for when they, before they were even born. And many of you parents have done the same thing with your children, praying for day to day that they would come to know Christ. Well, speaking of the gospel in that way, I know that we are right now in the midst of some really incredible times that the church at this, at this season, uh, at this time of the year, we're really about to have a shift. And the shift is beginning actually a little bit today with the direction that we're going as a church over the next several weeks for sure. And in the sense of the gospel, Pastor Scott shared and <clears throat> we see the big picture of missions and the involvement that we should have. But right now we are praying for hot springs for the month of September. It's our thematic focus. And the only purpose that a church would be praying for a city that she is planted in is not just to be taking up real estate and have a sign out in the yard. It's because we are here for the purpose of the gospel. That's the only reason why a church exists anywhere. Is so that she can be light to a community. And I thank God for that. We're also in the midst of Dixie Jackson as we've heard this morning. And so we have missions already on our minds. With the fact that we want to give to Arkansas missions that are happening right here. Tremendous church planners and pastors as we've seen on the screen. But we also realize that one day missions is coming up October 1. And that means right around the corner. We're going to be in, involved as a church. In Hot Springs as well as all kinds of people from the state. Coming here to Hot Springs to help us share Christ. And then we have the missions revival that's going right behind that. Amen? All this is in October. So if you're kind of following where I am, we have a lot of gospel saturation focus that is heading our way over the next several weeks, and rightfully so. So where that puts us today is I want to begin today, and, and Pastor Capace will begin as well in a different, uh, the same similar direction next week. But we want to get focused today really on uh, this understanding of I've got nothing to hide. And that's really what I want to preach on this subject of I've got nothing to hide. We use that statement. We have over the years in different ways. But today we're going to look at that in the sense of what the gospel message really does and how it impacts our lives. Will you pray with me at this time? Father, we just recognize in these moments that you are the Lord and you are powerful and amazing. And today, it's our prayer, Father, that you would lead the way, that you and the power of your spirit would have just preeminence in our hearts, God, that our hearts would be used and we belong to you. And Lord, I pray today that Christ is glorified as we get into what is at your heartbeat, the very core of who you are, and that is to have people come to know you as the one living, true God, through your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh God, please, I pray, work mightily in our hearts in these ways. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen. There was a group years ago by the name of Blue Tree. It's a contemporary Christian artist in Ireland. And so they were invited to go on a mission trip uh, to Bangkok, Thailand. And so they, they, they went on this mission trip while they were there. Well, while they were there, they were invited by some that were local in Bangkok to actually come to a well-known bar in the area and to sing for this, the people of the bar. And of course, the lostness and the darkness uh, in Thailand in that aspect, 
they, they really were reserved at first, but they thought this is maybe an opportunity for us to share Christ with the people of Thailand. So they got invited to play a two-hour set of their music, and they were invited because of professional side of them singing, uh, just musicians. But they looked at it from the gospel sense. So what they, they did is they went out there, and they showed up at the bar at Thailand, and they began to start playing for the next two hours there, as he calls it, Aaron Boyd, their lead singer, Jesus songs to the people of Thailand. And he said, yeah, we were drinking our Coca-Cola and we were having a blast, right? And he said, that's what we were doing. But here's what happened. What happened is that Aaron Boyd, the lead singer, said, as we were going through each set and each song, he said, something began to happen where the people of Thailand, all the people in the businesses, the people on the streets, the people in different areas were starting to come and gather around. They were stopping in the streets. They were coming out of their businesses and listening at the doors and leaning on the doors. He said, this went on and on and on. And he said, in those moments, I really had a moment with the Lord. And I'm just quoting some of the things that he said. He said, I just believe that, that I began to sing out what God was saying over that city. That you are the God of this city. That you are the king of these people. That you are really the Lord of this nation, but they just don't know it. And he began to sing that out. And before you know, lyrically speaking, the song was born that night. Just as he was worshiping and singing. And then they would sing that in Ireland over and over again. Well, Chris Tomlin, who many of you may know as a contemporary Christian artist. He was on tour, on a world tour that year. And he shows up in Ireland to be part of the worship that night. Blue Tree opens for Tomlin. And they're singing the song that they wrote. God of this city. <clears throat> and when they did, Chris Tomlin fell in love with the song. Got with them after the, after the worship service that night. And he asked them if he could have permission. He said, because I want to bring this song back to America. And I want America to sing out. That, this is, that God's the God of this city. He had a powerful time of recording it, and he did. And here's a small clip for us to listen to. Listen to this. Wherever we are, just think about that for a moment. I love the visionary aspect. Declaring almost war on the satanic darkness that can be anywhere we go. No, Lord. You died for these people. You are the God of this city. You are the king of these people. They just don't know it. It's a reminder of what we see when Jesus Christ in Luke 19 was coming into Jerusalem. The scripture gives this exact statement as it says this. It says, Jesus approached the city and he wept for it. Somehow in the heart of Christ, we go down further in the text and we see why did he weep for Jerusalem? Was it sentimental? Was it history of family? No. You read down three verses later and it says, you, he's speaking to Jerusalem, he said, you missed the time of God's visitation for you. That's what was the problem. And ultimately what Christ is bringing out in the tension is that he shows us really what it looks like to love a lost city with the hope of the gospel of Jesus. What I want us to think about for a moment here is I've got to be super real with you because I think that what happens when we talk about this subject, it's easy to check out, it's easy to just kind of back up, and I've been there and I do that, and I have to remind myself, no, this is what we're looking at. You know, we are in the midst of a true city that's an amazing city. One of the most awesome places to live in the United States is right here. It's got so many unique features, and a lot of people come to Hot Springs, amen, all around, all year round. But here's what I want to say. Even this very week, even this very week, I have had conversations in trying to share Christ with people. I have met a Satanist this week, right here on Albert Pike Road, who looked me in the eye, and he's a worshiper of a satanic temple, and he would not listen to the gospel. I'm like, we're going through life with people all around us like that. Who just don't know the hope that is, in, <clears throat> that is in Jesus. And what we want to get into is understand that really we've, we've got a trap, I think, that, that we've got to come out of. And I'm in this trap many times. It's possible that we've actually lost sight of the lost. Like, lost sight of them. Now listen, 
while we are still being faithful to church, studying our Bibles, having our prayer time and our prayer closets, and even doing good works and being involved by serving. What I'm getting at is that it seems like there is some type of disconnect here that I have just been wrestling with, and it has just been piercing me. Like Like I'm trapped in a bubble, and I've got to realize, you know, what's going on here? The pinnacle of all pinnacles, the Mount Everest of all Everest, is that you take all of the knowledge, all of the learning of the Bible, all of the time of prayer, all of the connection, the spiritual growth, and you put all of it together, and it should channel energy toward the greatest of all things. And that is getting the good news of Jesus to other people. But what happens in my life, and it may happen in some of yours, there's not as much consistency. And what that happens is that I end up going through all of the Christian motions, doing all of the Christian stuff. And the one thing that really hits home is that has all of this led to the byproduct of sharing the gospel. Because that's why Jesus Christ has come. That's where I need to be. 2 Corinthians 4 and 3 is where Paul said it like this to the church. He said, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. It's, in other words, I'm, I'm only fooling myself if I think I'm just veiling it and I'm hiding it. It's just on me. When the, when the bride takes the veil off and she consummates the vows to her groom with a kiss, the veil has got to be removed. And then we go forth. The veil is taken away in Jesus Christ. And what happens when Paul said the word veiled, when our gospel is veiled, it is literally the word that means covered up in the language. But it's written in a tense that means it is an ongoing issue. The, permanent, the, 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 the tense that it's written in is making us understand this, that the, share, the problem that the Corinthian church had is what I've got. This is where it hits home in the church. It's easy to let the gospel be covered up. It's easy for us to just go and be nice and kind and sweet and courteous and have good manners and be moral. But the atheists can do that too. People who are just civil can be civil. And what we got to realize is that, Lord, I don't want to be a camouflage Christian. I don't want to just blend in. I want the gospel to be so evident that I give that. I stand out. I'm unashamed of it. So there comes this realization Of God, why is the gospel being veiled? Good news is not supposed to be kept secret. It's to be told. It's to be excitedly told. That's why we've got nothing to hide. If we can go to sleep every night, and I think this is where the trap can come in, and I know it has for me. If I can go to sleep every night and another day has gone by, and another day has passed, and I have not shared the gospel, another day, another week, another month, And I start getting into this slump and this rut. And I realize that I have not been sharing Christ. Like I'm just, but I'm faithful to church. I'm involved in this. I'm helping with this. Somebody considers me to be a very inspirational person. Uh, People say they look up to me. And yet this one area of my life is missing. This is a part of the totality of the Christian walk. But somehow it's exempt. Lord, help me. The going to sleep every night with lost people means without having shared the gospel that day. And it starts to not be on the radar. It starts to make you wonder, Lord, how did I get here? Like, how am I okay? What made me excuse myself from your commission? How did I get away from this? Lord, how did I? I'm trapped. I feel like I can't get out of this. I'm in a rut. And I know that there's lostness. Like, who am I? I can't excuse myself, God. I know it's here. It's like the elephant in the room. But I still go to my stores and I do my shopping and I get this there and I go to my appointments and I do that. And I'm just mingling with folks, but I'm never ever having conversations about Christ on purpose. And that's where that's where we are right here, right now. Like if you could just latch on with what we're talking. This this is so vital because it means that we're trapped in a part-time Christianity. When we're really called to a full-time commission. A great commission. And where we are here and where God's been wrecking my heart. I mean, really, really getting to the core. Is that it's, it's an issue of restoration. Whenever there's been a failure, 
We need restoration. When there's been something go wrong, we need restoration. And today, this is where everything lands. Like, it lands like this. You and I are here in one or two categories. We are here as somebody who's been saved by Christ. And we would say confidently, I'm a born-again Christian. And then there are those of us that say, I'm not a Christian, but I'm thinking about it. Or I'm, I'm considering if you're lost without Christ, I pray that you get saved and know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. He died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the dead. And eternal life is found in him when we repent and believe the gospel. He'll, train, he'll change your life. He's changed mine. He loves you. But for those of us that are already a born-again Christian and you're here and you might have to ask yourself the question, you know, am I stuck? When it comes to this whole witnessing and sharing Jesus with other people, do I point at others in the church and say, that's their job, not mine? Do I, do I take responsibility as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus? Where we want to be in these moments is, is giving focus to that. And otherwise, all of this is, all this will be is just information and we'll go home and we'll enjoy a great lunch. But if, it, if you and I would really just kind of step into this, like somebody's got to go out and tell someone about Jesus. It just, we just don't have enough people doing it. And I, I'm afraid, I'm, I'm concerned that in the church, this is, this is a shortfall. Like Jesus prayed for laborers in the harvest back then. 2,000 years later, we still have a little bit of a crisis here. So what happens is the body of Christ, I believe one of the traps that I have fallen into, personally, is just getting used to not being careful about, Lord, when I go out today, when I cross paths with people in this town, I need to have it on my radar that the conversations, the people you're going to let me talk to is so not coincidental because you want people to be saved. So I need to join you and partner with you in your commissioning and be ready for what you've got in store. Oh, Lord, I'm just going to the store. I'm going to run home. But while I'm there, who's to say what God's about to do? Right? Who's to say who the Lord has prepared for that moment? And I am his agent. I am his missionary to go in that moment. Three restorations that I want to give us. The first two are just based on a couple of verses of passages. The last one is straight out of the Gospel of John in the fourth chapter. We'll get there in just a few moments. But right now, let's start off right here at ground level, okay? And just say, okay, if you're the person, and if I'm the, if I'm the one, and I'm hearing this, and I'm in this word... And if you're thinking to yourself, by chance, I am a Christian and I know that I need to be sharing the gospel of Jesus more than I actually am, then you're in the right place because the success of the Great Commission, the success of witnessing is when we leave this place and we go practice what the scripture has already said. But I don't need to convince myself that I can check out and exempt myself somehow when this is what the scripture is calling us to. So the first restoration is a personal restoration. And the personal aspect of the restoration is praying and crying out to the Lord, Lord Jesus, I realize that I have been hiding your gospel. So in Matthew 5, we use that, that scripture and we say it all the time. I mean, gospel light, Baptist church. I mean, I love the name. That's one of the first things I loved about when I found out about gospel. I thought that is an awesome name. And to be a member here, how accountable are we, right? I bear the name of my church family. I should be a light of the gospel when I, love, when I go out. In Matthew 5, when Jesus said, you're the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. You get the idea that it's like, okay, obviously you're going to see it, right? It's there. He says, you don't light a lamp and then put it under a basket, but you put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine. One of the challenges that we get into, I believe, sometimes is when we let our light shine, we use that as the statement of, well, I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to live the gospel of Jesus. I'm going to let my light shine by how I live. And that is true. That is true. But how many of you know, the other side of the coin, right, is the telling. It is the proclaiming. It is the getting the word out. And that's where we go. The conviction that I have had in my own personal life is that my witness of the gospel, I believe, has been more consistently hidden than it has been consistently bold. And that's where I don't want to be. And I, I confess to you, and it's embarrassing to think about, but this is where I have been evaluated in my own heart and life and saying, Lord, you're worthy of more than what I'm giving you. I don't have an excuse, so Lord, help me. 
And I believe there's some barriers, some hidden barriers that get in the way. There may be four right now. There's probably more than this, but we'll start off with four. Some of the barriers that we can use as to why we don't share the gospel. Like literally just, we just don't, we just don't go out of our way to witness. And some of the barriers are, number one, I'm scared. How many of you think we've ever said that before? I don't know enough. If I start talking about Jesus, what if they ask me a question that I can't answer, right? People start saying, I'm scared. I don't know enough. Or, I don't really want to be rejected. Well, it's Christ that they reject, not you and me. We just, we're just the messenger. I'm telling you, when you've got nothing to fear, you've got nothing to hide. So when we have nothing to fear, we share not out of scare. We, 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 are, we, are, we fear the Lord, not man. And so we want to give them the gospel. The second barrier, another one could be, it's not my personality. I'm too shy or I'm a little bit introverted. You know, I'm not kind of the person that just goes up to talk to people when I first met them a few minutes ago. That's just not me. That may not be our personality, but I'll tell you one thing. When you get saved by Jesus, you're not going off the natural anymore. You're going off supernatural, right? The Lord knows how to open our mouths and he'll do the speaking for us. So we can't use a personality's excuse. And sometimes we use the statement, number three, I don't speak well. Man, if I get to talking and I'm nervous, I'm going to start stuttering. Scatterbrain, my mind freezes up, right? You have all these different things, but guys, the Lord puts in our mouth. I have seen it so many times in my life when I don't really know how I'm going to bring up Jesus in this situation, and I start talking obediently. Everything just starts coming. It's from the Lord because He knows our weakness, right? He knows I'm weak, but in Him I can be strong. As long as I'm sharing His message, He'll take over. And the fourth one, Witnessing is just for serious Christians, right? It's the idea that that's not me. I'm not as serious. Well, guess what? It's probably a good thing that we get serious, right? Sometimes we'll say, I've got some hypocrisy in my life. I can't share the gospel. I've got a double standard going on. Or I need to get serious about God first. Listen, while it is still light, as we've already heard from John 9, we have an urgency, right, to share. Like we really just want to jump into this say, I've got to jump in. And I don't need to use any excuses. Years ago, there was a comedian that was a well-known atheist where he was. And there was a Gideon that went to the comedian's show. He didn't go because he was there to support the show. He, he went because he was trying to reach the atheist. And he came with a Gideon New Testament in his hand. He went to the show and after the show... The people were starting to go away. He came up to the man at the end. And he looked at him and he said, listen, sir, I know you don't know me and I don't know you. I've heard your show. He said, but I want you to know, I know where you stand because you've made it clear publicly. And he said, what I've got in my hands is the word of God. And the man started to turn away. He said, listen, I know you don't believe in the God who wrote this book, but the God that wrote this book believes in you and he loves you. And he shared the gospel with this man. Well, he rejected it, as you might expect. But the what rocked the world of the Gideon was when the atheist took the moment to explain to him why he was so, so antagonistic against the gospel. And here's what he said. He said, listen, I've heard what you've said for years. I've heard it from so many people. He said, but here's the problem. He said, if you're saying to me that the Jesus of the Bible resurrected from the dead. You're saying that he did something that no one else has done in history. And if you're telling me that gospel message is so true that it saves somebody from hell and allows them to have eternal life in a heaven, he said, then how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them that message? Because I have seen so many of you Christians, he said, that he said, if you guys are really that serious about it, and if it really does save like you say it'll save, then why isn't our whole society turned upside down with Christians going everywhere to tell someone of the urgency of this message? He said, that's why I don't want your Jesus, because I don't hardly hear anybody talking about it. So it must not be true. The Gideon's world was rocked upside down, and he himself knew the urgency that was on him. Let me tell you, when it comes down to hiding the gospel, this is where we find ourselves and I find myself in this. The only way to rekindle that to where we kind of unveil it, we kind of uncover it, the way that it happens is we go back to 1 Corinthians 15 and know the gospel message, the simplicity of that message. 
is that the message we've heard is that Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. That's what the word says. We rekindle with that. We rekindle with Matthew 13 when Jesus gave the parable of the hidden treasure. He said the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found. And for joy of that treasure, he hid it. And then for joy of the treasure, he went back, sold everything he had, and he bought the field where he hid the treasure. That's the picture of what God's kingdom looks like. That's what happens when the gospel enters our life. It's so valuable. We want others to know about it. 2 Corinthians 4 says as well that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellence of the power would be of God and not of us. We've got a treasure that can be given. In 1 Thessalonians 2 and 4, it says this. And this is where I thought about this a lot this week, too. It says, we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. I want you to think about that. That means that landed in my lap, planted in my life, is that I am a professing born-again Christian that was saved by Christ, radically changed my life at 17 years old, never been the same. I was given the gospel, and I'm entrusted with that. Think about that. You and me are the same. If you know Christ, you have been entrusted with the gospel. That means God is counting on us to be ready to share that, and that's why 2 Corinthians 5.18 makes sense. It says that God has given us, he has reconciled us through Jesus Christ, and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That Christ is pleading through us that he is alive from the dead. And we are supposed to be telling people, 2 Corinthians 5, it says it word for word. Be reconciled to God. It's an announcement. It's a a rescue. And so really whenever I'm talking to someone and you're talking to someone about the gospel. We're not sitting here trying to speak through their logic. We're, We're not trying to have an intellectual debate. We're trying to get to the to the soul of the matter, the heart of the matter. And the gospel is where that answer is. And what we find is that that's what we have. The gospel is not a treaty that is to be negotiated. It's a treasure to be shared as ambassadors entrusted with people's eternity. Amen? That's where we are today. And what I would encourage you to do and think about that with me is where do we stand when it comes to these things? Right now, today, do we need a personal restoration between us and Christ? Now listen. If anybody has been sharing the gospel, and you're one of these in our church family right now, that you are actively practicing sharing Christ possibly every day, then praise God, amen? Like, that's what we want everyone. But the majority of most Christians today statistically admit, I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything else, but that one area is where I have weakness, I just don't share Christ like I should, and I know I need to. If you're here today and you say, I'm that person. I know that Christ has given me a commission. I know that I am supposed to share. So I can't hide from it. Then let's not hide anymore. Come before Christ when we finish the service and just say, Lord Jesus, I've hidden your gospel if that's the case. And I want you to restore that fire in me again. That I'll take the veil off. And I will proclaim who Jesus is. And I'll start today. Because I'm going to go to lunch. Or I've got to run into town to grab something on the way home. I'm going to meet people. So I'll start, Lord. And I may be nervous. But you can help me to do so. It's a willingness to not hide the gospel. There's a second restoration in our text. Or in our, in our understanding of our notes here. And it's this right here. It's Lord Jesus. Fill me with your holy power. For your harvest. How many of you believe and understand as the scripture teaches. And Pastor Capace will get into this uh, probably some more next week. If not the week after. In the direction he's going. How many of you know that there is a harvest of people. That the Holy Spirit of God is working in their lives. Ready for people like you and me to share Christ with them. Amen. Like this is real. This is not like a joke, a game. God's not playing a game with people's souls. It's real time. So there's people in my life that I'm going to meet. And he's going to put my feet, my heart in that direction. We're going to cross paths. And it's not a coincidence. Because that's the way our God works. He knows we have the gospel. He wants to get us to people who don't. So when we go out, this is our prayer. Lord, fill me with your holy power 
that I could be a witness into your harvest. Years ago, I was pastoring out of state, and I remember I was church planning and pastoring, and I had a couple of guys on our staff that were campus pastors with me, one named Brian, one named Brad. We attended a secret church meeting conference with Dr. David Platt. It was a six-hour time where you go together and you have basically incredible Bible study and prayers like reviving. So we went through this conference. At the end of it, we were glued and consumed. Like the three of us with the others around us, I came to them. I said, guys, I said, I, I am just, I'm at a point right now where something has got to change. My witness for Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm just so tonight just gripped by the lostness. And they were too. So we made this agreement. We got together and we prayed over one another. And we said we were going to make an agreement to share the gospel of Jesus Christ for the next 365 days of our life. One year. Now, I'm, uh, listen, every day, every day, like we, didn't, we weren't going to miss a day. And we had to hold each other accountable. So every day we started off, right? And I'm telling you, you talk about nervous. Anybody would be nervous with me, right? I was nervous. Admittedly, I thought, what am I doing? What have I got myself into, right? And I started the commitment a few days in, the zeal's there, the passion's there. Man, we're kind of on fire for this. And then like a week later, it was getting to where it was getting a little bit more difficult. And then two weeks later, I was like limping, right? <laughs> Trying to get myself. And here's what happened. I share this for this reason. God revolutionized my life in this way. I came to the understanding of why I had not been witnessing like I should have. I came to realize what the whole problem, the missing ingredient of it all. I needed the filling power of God's spirit in my life. And that's what happened to me. I remember coming to the point of being so empty and thinking, why am I not witnessing? I should be glad to go out and tell people about Jesus. Why am I so deplete? The problem was the filling power of God's spirit was absent. And I believe wholeheartedly that's the why Jesus tells us the order that he tells us. When he looked at his disciples before he ascended into heaven. And he said in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be witnesses unto me. And he named Judea, Samaria. The, what I'm saying is this. The filling of the spirit of God produced the witnessing that people needed. Amen? In Acts 4, when the disciples had prayed, the Bible says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Filling power, then comes the boldness. I became a broken, messed up guy. Within two weeks of that 365-day challenge, I thought, I am never going to make it. I'm going to be humiliated. I'm going to tell the guys that I cave in. I can't do it. I came to the realization, I am not depending and asking for the filling power of God's Spirit so I can be a witness for Jesus. So what happened is that God broke me. And I'll never forget those, the, the two weeks in or so when that happened. And I remember going to the Lord and every day just depending on His power, calling out to Christ. And before I knew it, one person wasn't enough to tell about Jesus. Amen. But what I'm saying is this. Every time I started getting empty, I started realizing witnessing is not designed in the strength of human effort. It must be filled with God's power. And it made me realize maybe I haven't been witnessing like I should because I've not been filled with God's spirit and his power for his harvest. Convicting. And where we are today is that when we see the Lord's harvest by faith and we're filled with the Holy Spirit's power, we will start going to the lost Instead of just talking about the lost, there is a difference. And that's where we are right now. And I can only pray that if there's anyone here that's saying, man, I'm, I'm all in. Like, I'm not one to hide the gospel anymore. Here's what I would say. Before you and I get the zealous, okay, let's go. I'm going to start. I would say, let's first get on our face before the living God. And let's just confess to him that our knowledge and our strength and our wisdom is nothing and that really, we need some Holy Spirit power to give us boldness and urgency for the gospel. I'm telling you, it's a spiritual element that is missing if tried to done, be done in natural effort. It's, we must depend on His power. And if the church is not sharing the gospel like she should, many times it's go back to ground level. 
go back to the base, go back to base and just say, man, am I even seeking the Lord? Like Pastor Jordan was singing or saying, returning to our first love. And that's when these things begin to transform, reviving this in our life, rekindling the fire. If you are one of the Christians in here that says, man, I'm just, I have shared the gospel. I have, I have told people about Jesus, but I have not really been, been doing that as much as I used to. And I, I need to get back. Listen, here's where I am. Where I have made the mistake is always looking at the, yeah, I need to get to that kind of attitude. Like, yeah, I know I should. And just, oh, I'm so convicted, man. I need to. And then I go out and I don't do jack. That's where I've been. I confess. I don't want to stay there. You know why? Because when I look into people's eyes and I can sit here and have conversation with them about everything under the sun except Jesus, I've got the problem. It's on me. I know what needs to be said. And somehow, some way, I've got to have urgency for that. We want to have a personal restoration. A powerful restoration, which leads to a practical restoration. In your Bibles, in John chapter 4, I'd like you to see here what the scripture brings out in this passage. In John 4, this is what Jesus has happened. He meets this lady that many of us know in this church today. The story of Jesus meeting a woman at a well. We probably can quote the story. Let's do this. The practical restoration is that right here in this story, Jesus gives us just a basic, simple, Lord Jesus, I want to witness just like you did. Okay? This is just one encounter. And so if you can imagine yourself taking seriously the personal restoration, not hiding the gospel, powerfully, really seeking the Lord to be filled with the Spirit and go out and be ready. Start your day off ready to go witness and say, today, today, I will not hide the gospel. Today, I will be ready to engage somebody at work, somebody at school, somebody at Walmart, somebody at another store, somebody at a business office. I will be ready to share, Lord, with your power today. That dependence is there. But here's the way it's done. Like Jesus gives us the example. And the first thing that we notice in John 4 is that it says he left He left Judea and he went into Galilee. And then verse 4 says this. He had to travel through Samaria. Now stop with me for just a moment. He had to travel through Samaria. The King James Version reads, he must needs go through Samaria, right? How many of you remember it this way? So he needed to go through Samaria. Here's the problem. After the Babylonian captivity of the Old Testament, you had this land dispersion settle out. And the Samaritan nation, if you will, or group of people, came as a result after the Babylonian captivity of the Old Testament. So they've been there for a while. This is their land. This is their area. And they've got sentimental tie because of Moses and sacrifices and stuff like that. So when he comes here, he wants to go through Samaria. The problem is this. The problem is that Samaria was the shortcut, which is a good thing. But many of the Jews avoided going through Samaria. And they would take the long way around because they wanted to avoid Samaritans. They hated each other. They had lots of hostility against each other. So they started to stay away. So instead of going the shortcut and save yourself a few miles, you would go the long way just to avoid seeing the Samaritan. Well, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, I must go through Samaria. They knew something was up. So he does, and he goes through. And the thing is, is that what Jesus teaches us right there, All the disciples were used to avoiding people. All they did was avoid the Samaritans in this case. They didn't share the gospel with them. One time John even said, Lord, he wants to call down fire on the Samaritans and to see if they're consumed. That's the kind of hostility that went on. Jesus wanted to not avoid them. One of the principles that stands out is that that teaches us that what we need to do is that when we're going to be active and share the gospel, we have it on our mind. It's already there. Look for people and not avoid them. Years ago, I announced at a church where I was pastoring. I said, all right, everybody, I preached. Uh, we had talked about this. We had been in a mission emphasis, and I announced to the church, everybody who's willing to go witnessing, here's what we're going to do. Meet me at Walmart in the parking lot on this date and this time, and I'll be there, and I will be ready, and we'll just go out. We'll tell people about Jesus in Walmart. Well, I was so excited about that, and then I was so stunned when two people showed up. <laughs> And the two people showed up were two ladies named Michelle and Samantha. And I said, hey, it's okay. Jesus set the world on fire with 12 guys, right? It's going to work. So we got together, and Michelle and Samantha 
I'll never forget Samantha. She was like just so real. She would just tell you what she was thinking before she would say it or think it like that kind of. She just looked at me and she said, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like witnessing it. Like I come to Walmart to avoid people. I don't want to think about witnessing to them. And that's how she went about looking at it. I said, Samantha, you're not here to avoid anybody. You're here to make sure you are fishing for men. So the prayerful thing that we ask is that when we go out, it's more than Jillian telling me, my wife telling me, hey, can you run to the store and grab a couple of things? Sure, honey, I will. Can you meet me here at this appointment at this time? Sure, I will. But what you and I are engaging in is that, God, I have the message. Like, I really have the message. And today I may encounter someone that needs the gospel. Jesus didn't avoid people. He looked for them. Have people on our radar when we go and do the things we're doing. To be ready to say, this conversation needs to go a little further, I believe, with the gospel. There's another area here in your text. If you will, look at this. He says in verse 5, So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. It's near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Um, And this is all based on the Genesis account in the Old Testament. When they got the patriarchal part of this land, okay? So what happens is this. They got this area here. And this goes back to where Abraham was given this back in Genesis, this whole region, and they all connect to that. You keep reading, and it says Jacob's well was there. Jacob, as we remember, bought this land back in Genesis for 100 pieces of silver. He built an altar, and then he dug a well. So this goes way back, and that's what is happening in this text. It says Jesus was there. He was worn out from his journey. He sat down at the well. It was about 12 noon. So you can imagine, it's at the heat of the day, right? It's not in the morning, not late in the evening. It's right in the middle of the day. He's, he's worn out. It's probably warm of some kind. He's thirsty. And here's what we find. He says, it says here in verse 7, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. What's so unique right there is that the women back in this culture and time, they only usually came to do things like this nature. It w- would be in a group. And it would also be earlier in the morning when it wasn't hot. For her to be by herself and it to be in the middle of the day speaks to the fact that she is some type of outcast in that culture. She's not with the other women. And it's at this time of the day. And then Jesus says this, give me a drink, Jesus said to her. You know, the next time we see Jesus wanting something to drink is when he says, I thirst from the cross. He was thirsty here and he was thirsty then. Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. This speaks to the hostility. But at the same time, it was very known in that culture that rabbis did not speak to women in public in a lot of different settings of that day and time. Not even to their wives or to their daughters in some cases if they were really strict. And for Jesus to have this conversation is just incredible as he did others in the New Testament. He totally broke the barriers, didn't he? To make sure he got through love to people. To let them know he loved them. Compassion. And that's what we find is happening here. When it makes a statement here, you'll see he says, give me a drink. And she speaks this out in form of a question. If you're at a well, it's probably a good idea to talk about water. Amen? That's what's happening here. And if you're at a sporting event, you're watching a basketball game, let's talk about basketball. If we're at a business conference, let's talk about business things. When you're starting conversation with people, and I am too, let's find what we find here by Jesus. Initiate common conversation. Let's talk about the obvious things in the environment. One of the things that my mentor, a pastor friend in my life, every time I'd be with him, we would be at hospitals sometimes visiting together. And I'll never forget some of the times that he would witness to people is he would witness to people while we were together at a hospital on the elevator. Like, no, I asked him, I said, Brother David, why do you want, like, let's meet them in a lobby. Why in the elevator? And he'd always tell me, because they can't go anywhere. <laughs> They're going to have to listen. And so here's what he would always do. His line would be, so everybody, I mean, seriously, like, we're all in the elevator, right? Hey, everybody, are you going up or down in your spiritual life? <laughs> That's how he would always open it up. And I'd say, Brother David, there's going to be another way that we can witness to people without that. All right. 
But anyway, he, this, these are the things. You find something common in your environment. Another area is in verse 10. If you look, look at verse 10. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. All the way down in this conversation, here's the name God mentioned. Up until now, it's been common conversation. It lets you know really quickly that when we're going to share Christ with somebody, let's, let's not focus on building our case as much as we're building a relationship. We want to try to get to know them and understand that we're not going to have the, 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 the if you died today conversation right off the top, right? And, and, and are you going to go to heaven here? I barely know their first name. We can't go from zero to 60 with someone's soul and expect them to enjoy the ride. We've got to be ready to slow down and walk with them in that time. And what we have here is Jesus bringing up the Lord. So he's building a relationship. He's getting to know this person. And now he talks about the gift of God. One of the areas in the Christian walk, or when we're starting to witness, is that very same practice. It's that eventually we're going to go ahead and mention something to test the water, right, about the Lord. So I might say something like, man, the Lord sure has given us a beautiful day outside. And just see where that goes. Or if I'm talking about children, grandchildren, I might say, man, children sure are gifts from God. I'll try these conversations with people when we're talking just to see where things are about the Lord. Or if somebody is walking into a building, open the door for them and have a chance to plant something about the Lord as they're walking in. Just, just, it's, it's like there's an indebtedness. That's in the heart of every Christian that wherever I go, whoever I meet, whatever I'm doing, I want to leave that person's conversation with something, even at a drive through window, something that points to the Lord. Amen? Something. Because we feel indebted to the people around us that we want to make sure they have the gospel before they leave this life. We want to see where God opens those conversations. And that's what Jesus did here And so look with me in verse 11, and you'll see another area of how he witnessed. In verse 11, it says this. She said, sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? Whoa, right? So like here she's challenging, like she don't know who she's talking to, right? But of course she doesn't. A lost person doesn't know they're lost until they they know Christ. She's acting just like she should. She's only used to Jacob's well. Amen? That's all they know in this area of Samaria. You aren't greater than him, are you? Let's keep going. It says, he gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up. Into eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Obviously, something's changed. And in the scene right here, in this moment, what we see here happening with Jesus is that while she has been mentioning, while he's mentioned the gift of God, and then she's challenging him to Jacob's well, listen, here's what's happening. She's starting to go a different direction. But Jesus is letting her know that, listen, you're trusting in Jacob's well. You're, you're putting your faith in everything based on patriarchal history, but I'm here to give you life. And I'm here to point you to the, to the future, your hope in the Lord. What that points to is the fact that that's how a lot of conversations go when we're talking to people about Jesus. They're hanging on to some Jacob's wells. They're hanging on to something in the past. My grandpa was a preacher, so I'm going to be in heaven. My mama taught Sunday school. My uncle was a deacon. I went to VBS one time, I got a t-shirt, right? And they hang on to something spiritual that I can attach myself, and somehow I must be right with God. That's where the lostness comes into someone's mind. They are grasping for whatever they can and saying, I'm okay. What you and I do is we, we confront that lovingly with the gospel and say that sufficiency is not going to be enough. You need something more. I'll give you something that will satisfy This is not going to last, but Christ does. And we go further in the text, and you'll see in verse 16 how the Bible says here. He says, go call your husband. So now Jesus is changing direction. He told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. 
When Jesus said this, can you imagine the moment, right? But what we get is this. You and I may not know everything about somebody's story. Supernaturally, Jesus tapped in. He knew her. He knew her life. But the principle is all over the text. You know what it is? Truth. He spoke truth. And she had to admit truth. Yes, yes, this is right. And that's what happens when we're sharing the gospel, is that we answer any question in this way back to the gospel. We speak the truth and we wait for conviction from the Holy Spirit of God. But what happens is that when I'm entrusted with the gospel, if I'm not going to share, tr- if I'm not going to share truth when I'm trying to tell the gospel, it's going to get uneasy. The gospel is offensive, y'all. And so the boldness kicks in, right? We make up our mind to say, do I care about this person's soul enough to tell them the truth? Or am I just going to get cold feet back off and don't want to upset and hurt their feelings? No. I love them enough to tell them the truth. And that's what Jesus did. I met a man one time and his very response to the gospel was this. I ain't interested in that. I got my own way to God. Leave me alone. And I had to speak Proverbs 14 to him. I didn't say the verse, but I said, hey, listen, the God that created you, he said, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends the way of death. And I gave him the scripture and he walked away. But that was a moment to be able to say, there is truth. Amen? So when you and I are talking to somebody, give truth, give word. The scripture is not going to return void. We give them what they need. But this is what happens when we're sharing Christ. Jesus modeled it so well right here to answer these questions and bring it back to the gospel. Keep coming back to the gospel. If not, we'll chase intellectual and philosophical and ideological trails all day and get nowhere. But the gospel is where they need to be. We see further in the text. Last of all, look at verse 19 and he says this. He says, Sir, the woman replied after Jesus said, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Now here we go. But you Jews say that the place to worship is in Bethlehem. Now how many of you can see already? The worship in Jerusalem or Bethlehem or wherever has nothing to do with husbands. I hope it doesn't, right? Has nothing to do with husbands. So what's happened is that she is now backing up. And she's starting to kind of squirm a little bit. And she's changing directions here. This is what happens when we tell people about Christ. This is what happens when conviction begins. And then you go further. He says in verse 20, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place of worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman told him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. What's so amazing about this is the fact of this one thing here that stands out. She's changed directions. Jesus responds. And listen, everyone, what, what happened was this. When the change of direction happened, Jesus gives like a prophetic, fulfilling, guess what? It ain't going to matter if it's in Jerusalem or on this mountain. God's going to take the gospel global. And there's going to be people worshiping in spirit and truth everywhere. Amen? Jesus was pointing her to the fact that I'm about to blow your mind. (laughs) This is going to change. And you're going to be amazed. But what happened was at the very end, I who's speaking to you, I am he. Brings it back to where it needs to be. The point here is that no matter what direction the conversation goes spiritually, bring it back to Jesus. To Jesus, in this case, did this and did it so well. To witness like Jesus did, we've got to slow down our trips to the grocery store, our gym workouts, our waiting rooms, our volleyball games. And we've got to realize, I'm sitting with people in these bleachers. I'm with these people in the waiting room. I should go ahead while I'm here and not be more concerned about the event that I'm attending, that I am the souls of those I'm with. It should somewhere enter in our heart and conscience. Otherwise, if I keep doing that, then I'm just playing church personally for me. 
or I'm going to take what I really believe and I worship and I lift his name and I'm going to go out here and do something with what I say I believe. Because the gospel needs to be told. Jesus slowed down for Nicodemus. He slowed down for Zacchaeus. Philip slowed down for an Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. Paul slowed down for a Philippian jailer to tell him the gospel in Acts 16. The real issue that has personally hit me is busyness has bound us to such a tight schedule of activities that usually forces short, shallow, generic conversations that won't slow down long enough to genuinely connect with a lost person to share Christ with them. Because we're always on the run. And it's like we've got to go deeper. We've got to slow down. We've got to invest and do that. That's where we are this morning in Acts 1-8 when the power of God's Spirit's given. Right now, Hot Springs is our Jerusalem. This is where we are as a church family. This is where I am. I need your accountability. You need mine. If you come up to me and say, hey, Jeremy, have you witnessed? Have you been sharing the gospel this week? Guess what? Accountably, I'm going to ask you the same question. Amen? So if nobody's asking me anything, then I don't know what's happening, right? But I want to ask you the same way. And we want to be able to hold each other accountable in that way. Does your witness for Jesus need to be rekindled this morning? Right here, right now, is there any one of us that just say, I know where I am. I, I know what to do. I even know what the gospel message is. But Jeremy, I admit, I'm having conversations with people all the time. And I know more about their life than I know about their soul. Like, I don't know where they stand with Christ. And I have been friends with this person for this long. Or I'm having conversations with people I meet random because of my job. It gives me a chance to mention Christ. Let me ask you today. The two questions that I want to close with is just these questions that are as sincere and asking. And I'm asking sincerely right now in these questions. Do, do I care that there are people lost in this city without Christ? That's a question rhetorically. Like, do I care? If I don't care, then I myself probably am lost and need to be saved. But I believe every Christian in here probably cares, I'm sure, Deeply that, yes, I want, Jeremy, I want people to be saved in this city. Yes, I, I know there's lost people, and I, I do want them to be saved. Amen. But the next question really is where the rubber meets the road. And the question is simple. It's one that only we can answer between us and God. And it's this. Do I care enough to find out where they are by intentionally sharing the gospel of Jesus? That's how it is. When we go fishing for men, if I go fishing and I, I don't know where all the fish are, I can use my fish finder, I can try different bait, I can try different things, I can look at temperature, water, weather, I can do all that stuff. But listen, when it comes down, push a shove. There's going to be a certain time you catch fish and a certain time you don't. When we go fishing for men, we don't know where lost people are. But guess what? The Holy Spirit of God does. And that means we start sharing Christ with them. And we start obediently sharing Christ. And then we wait on the Lord. To do the work of his spirit that he will. Right here today. If you are lost without Jesus Christ. And you say. Listen I'm not telling people about Jesus. I don't even know Jesus. I don't even know Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to be saved by Jesus. Then guess what today. In this time of invitation time. As service comes to a close. And we're going to start worshiping the Lord here. If you need to be saved by Christ. It comes down to the fact that you, if you're sorry that you've sinned and you realize that you're not perfect, and I know I'm not either, and you want Christ to save you. Listen, if you know you've sinned against the God that created you, Jesus Christ loves you so much. He died on the cross for your sin. Like he wants to be your Savior and your Lord. And if you're here and you're fighting against God and you're not sure what, listen, stop. Stop the war. The Lord loves you. He died for you. He rose again. And tonight, this morning, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. But if you're like me, you're a, a follower of Jesus here. Y'all, we've got a lot of lost people that need to know about the good news that we found out about. I'm so glad somebody told me about Jesus, y'all. 
I couldn't even stand here and proclaim this. But it started with somebody sharing the gospel with me. I don't want to be selfish and hold that in. I need to give that away. And right here, if you know, it's time. We've talked about it enough. We've thought about it for years. Maybe we've been hitting this. It's time. If you're ready and say, I want to start sharing Christ now. No more hiding. Power filled with the Spirit of God. Jesus showed us how to do it. Now it's up to you and me. I'm going to ask you sincerely as I can, if you're really seriously right now by God's Spirit, you are, you are like, I'm, I'm in. I'm drawn. I'm broken. I know I do not need to put this off. I need to make my mind up. Am I going to get serious about sharing Christ? Or is it going to be another one of those things I delay in my Christian life? It's time. Let's give Christ our best because he gave his all for us. Let's give him our best. Father, if there is any one of us here, Lord, that you know in our hearts that we've delayed or we've kind of cooled off and left our first love, we need reviving in our own hearts for the mission of the gospel again. God, please rekindle that. If anyone needs to pray this morning to, to call on your name, then let it be so. Lord, your will be done. You, you strengthen your church. You restir, stir that back up in us, God. That we would see the urgency. God, let us not fall into this trap. Into the negligence of the gospel. God, help us, Lord. Help us as a church family. Please, I beg you, Father. I cry out to you, Lord. Please, help me. Help me, Father, to join my brothers and sisters. And I want to be faithful to you in this way. In Jesus Christ's name, Lord, we pray and ask these things. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship. And if you need to pray in any way, I'm here and others are here. This time is open.